This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. Welcome to Live and Learn. I'm Troy Antic. Now, if you are a football fan, you would know that Jose Mourinho's appointment as Manchester United's manager was reportedly held up by negotiations over his image rights. What are image rights and how does it affect an athlete or sports professional like Mourinho? Well, um, in the studio with me today to help us understand how income is made beyond the pitch is Richard Wee and uh, Leslie Lim. They are lawyers who specialise in sports law. Richard, perhaps I can start with you. What are image rights? Thanks for inviting us. Image rights. Basically, it's the monetizing of a person's um, uh, looks, style, their way of, uh, in this context, uh, the way they play the game. Um, so, for an example, um, uh, the style of uh, currently uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, every time he scores a goal, he will run to the end of the corner flag and then make that... that uh, Goal celebration. Celebration, heroic stand, you know. Like, and that's now becoming an icon, you know. Um, and another one would be uh, Tiger Woods and Nadal, where Nadal has actually their own logo. Uh, even Roger Federer has his own logo created by that sports club, by uh, that sports company. So that's how uh, the uh, the players, athletes, they monetize their image, their name, and uh, call it image rights. How did the concept of image right come about, and why was it needed at the time? So um, perhaps we can look back a, a little bit further back on on perhaps when uh, the earlier days of Premier League, um, and this was when uh, the agreements between clubs and players were much simpler uh, in the sense where players basically just take home a salary or a wage. And that salary or wage would actually uh, be subject to income tax. And ironically, uh, how image rights came about was uh, it's actually uh, a method to avoid tax. So uh, some brilliant financial advisor came up with a, a structure whereby players would still have uh, 50% uh, of their salaries and wages uh, in a separate agreement, and that would be subject to the usual income tax <clears throat> as per the English law. Uh, but separately, image rights would be paid to an offshore company uh, where taxes would be subject to a, a regular corporate rate, which is almost 50% uh, of the income tax uh, in the UK. So that's basically how it first came about uh, as tax avoidance, actually. This is so, in the UK instance, is ta- yes. tax avoidance. So now that we know it's about tax avoidance. Have they done anything about it? So interestingly, um, I think uh, some of the first few uh, foreign players that uh, were subject to this um, was, I think, familiar names, uh, Dennis Bergkamp, uh, Patrick Vieira. And of course, uh, this eventually came to the attention of the uh, English Inland Revenue Board. uh, And they brought it up uh, to the Special Commission. And uh, after deliberating over the matter, the Special Commission actually Uh, came to a decision that such offshore image rights deals were in fact a legitimate commercial contract uh, because they were being assessed at a fair value. So, yeah, it it has come to the attention of the authorities. Um, Richard, before we started the interview, you were telling me that in the US, this was not a tax avoidance strategy. It started because they wanted to commercialise sports. Did uh, image rights in the States came out of the same reason or did it have a different trajectory? From what we can track back, basically uh, sports in the States, image rights came about due to the increased uh, interest in sports, particularly after World War II. Eventually by the 60s, um, the sports association, uh, clubs, 
they decided to monetize the image of their own players. They created what was uh, a copyright, and uh, we we got big superstars. Uh, most like most of them are the NBA and uh, NFL, and to some extent NHL. Uh, becoming huge uh, superstars using their names, their image, the sports clubs and the association decided to convert into intellectual property and uh, copyright their names, uh, etc. And that's how it grew. Uh, as, uh, basically, in the world now, uh, I think the, the Americans are very much ahead of uh, everyone else in terms of how they conceptually uh, create a property out of a person's name you know yeah. and they're brilliant with it so they started in the 60s not really more not really about tax of course the consequences of doing what they do eventually they will avoid uh, some sort of tax so Leslie is spot on uh, but Leslie's example just now was more of uh, the British experience and whereas in America in the 60s especially it was more for commercial reasons Coming back to Mourinho's case, it was reported that the name Jose Mourinho, Chelsea registered the name Jose Mourinho and his signature as a European trademark in 2005, which allows them to use it to sell anything from toiletries and teddy bears and clothing to jewellery. Is it normal for an individual to not own their image rights? Yeah, in British, uh, British football, uh, it is very normal, very normal for uh, anyone related to the game to have a trademark, or in this case, the name converted into a trademark, is very common. So as Mourinho, for Mourinho, his, his image is probably when uh, when he came to uh, UK for the first time from Porto, he was so different. There was no manager like him at the time. Even his name was different, Jose Mourinho. Uh, and, and when he came up with that iconic phrase, the special one, uh, you got to put your heads off to the Chelsea's uh, commercial people. They were brilliant. They immediately took his name, trademark it. So it's quite common if you go to the, um, um, uh, the stores of uh, football clubs, uh, like when Sir Alex was the manager for uh, Manchester United, you can see things being sold with his name there. Even, well, some of you may know I, I support Everton. So it's a small club. Uh, some people call it a small club up north. But Everton used to have merchandises for David Moyes. And before he was relieved of his duty, we used to have merchandises for Roberto Martinez. Not much compared to the main players, but they are. Let me share something with you. Actually, you know, um, there have been attempts by football players to try and register their name, but fail. Uh, one classic one was Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes tried to register his name well, long ago in the 90s. During his Manchester uh, but United. Because his, his name was quite common. And uh, from what uh, we understand, Alan Scherer managed to, to trademark his name, particularly because of his uh, peculiar fame as a really good football player at the time in the 90s. So there, there have been cases like Paul Gascoigne, his name, nickname Gaza is trademarked. So anybody who wants to use that name have to go through his company. So it's, it's quite common for the managers, or in, in, in this case, the manager to have their name trademark. My only surprise is that it's still with Chelsea. So we, we thought by now, <laughs> you know, he, he would have followed uh, Mourinho wherever he went. Well, that's very sad and tragic for Mark Hughes, who is not able to commercialize or capitalize on his uh, Oh, he, name. He, did. he did. In other ways. I, I can't remember what his trade name could be Sparky because that was his nickname but uh, he managed to monetize it in, in other ways yeah but there have been other players who tried to trademark their name 
they can't so they either come up with a logo or they come up with a nickname and then trademark it it's quite normal but there's great value in sports name sports connotes uh, health uh, healthy living uh, it it embodies the spirit of a human being you know we all try to always be better we try to be the best and uh, any sport embodies that spirit so that is the darling of every single uh, potential sponsor so if you are a sponsor and you want to uh, reflect your company as a, a spirited company you know you're the uh, up and coming or, or you're the best you should associate yourself with the athlete so yeah. the athlete on the other hand shouldn't just allow their name to be used they should conceptualize the name convert it into intellectual property and then start trading it Leslie yeah. Richard has just given me a lot of reasons why if I'm a superstar to own my own name but what would be the incentive for someone like Mourinho to give up his trademark well, the very, very simple answer to that um, would actually be money. Uh, to basically be paid um, for your image uh, to be used. So just flowing from what Richard just said, um, the reason as to why uh, sponsors would want to uh, use uh, athletes uh, to be that face of their brand uh, basically stems from the goodwill that is attached to a particular uh, athlete. We can draw a comparison of, say, of course, the very popular David Beckham. Uh, he has a very clean image. He's now branded himself as a very family man, uh, despite the many tattoos on his bodies. <laughs> on his body, um, as compared to say uh, Mario Balotelli, who is infamous for his uh, off the field um, antics. antics. Yeah. yeah, antics. I would say. So, if I were a sponsor, I would of course want David Beckham to be the face uh, of my brand, uh, and that is the goodwill that he has created uh, for himself associated to his name over the years. Uh, and if I'm David Beckham, uh, you know, if you want to use my name, uh, you have to pay me for it. it. It is as simple as that, actually. I'm speaking today to lawyers Richard Wee and Leslie Lim about the uses and abuses of image rights in sports. We'll talk more about how a stronger framework in sports law can elevate a country's sporting prowess after the break. BFM 89.9. Good afternoon and welcome to Live and Learn. I'm Chua Antik. My guests today are lawyers Richard Wee and Leslie Lim. They've been helping me to understand this concept in sports law called image rights and how it's being used to create marketing phenomena. Most of the sports icon I, I can think of are Americans. Was Beckham one of the pioneers of a personality outside the US to be able to nurture his brand Beckham? If you're looking purely about football, I think in the 80s, let's start with UK, that's where the idea of commercialising football became an apparent issue. Clubs like, just by coincidence, Everton was among the first club to have uh, sponsors on their shirt in mm. 83. Um, uh, so it, it evolved from that 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 branding of uh, with with a, a brand on the jersey, and um, uh, eventually uh, more and more uh, players start to brand themselves. Um, so like in in UK, I think among the big superstars uh, would have been people like uh, Gary Lineker. Uh, he he managed to uh, monetize his team very well. When he went to Japan to play in the inaugural stage at Japan J League, he had a fair deal of trademark name too, you know, over and above his his football contract. So it evolved from there, and um, I wouldn't say that only Americans are well known for that. In fact, now I think almost every single top player in Europe would have their name trademarked. Is it assumed that 
an individual own his or her own image rights until someone attempts to purchase it? Well, there will be a situation where, let's take Jimmy Wadi, uh, now a huge star from Leicester. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he would have protected his image rights, uh, even though he came down from the lower leagues up to the Premier League. But I wouldn't be surprised if his uh, contract, his image rights contract is with uh, Leicester instead of with him. And I guess Leicester will now definitely try to uh, use, maybe the word exploit would be too strong, but use his name as much as possible to uh, sell Leicester to neutral fans. Uh, so it is quite common for players to to own their name. Uh, the extent of their ownership will depend on the strength of their commercial position in, in the sports. So if, if you are a fairly unknown player in the third division, you'll probably be still known within the community of where you're staying. Your club may want to trademark your name, but they can only sell your name to that area where you're playing. But if, if you are a um, decent player in in London, one of the London clubs, uh, your name may be known even here in Malaysia. So your agent and your uh, advisors may want to protect your name and, and so that if possible, they want to sell your name here in Malaysia. Example, as an example. So normally the player will own the name as long as they can. But the moment they become professional players, if I'm their advisor, if Leslie is their advisor, we will tell the player, immediately trademark your name, even though you're 19 year old. Trademark first, keep your name first, and then form a company, keep it there, and then the company will be the one who manage your rights for you. Is it any different from an artist protecting her work, his work, or novel, or character? Similar. So if you are uh, a famous singer, uh, like in Malaysia, most of our actors and singers, they, they have maintained their image rights. But most of, I think, our Malaysian local artists don't form companies to own their rights. Uh, but they do. They do protect as much as they can. Um, How long would an image rights uh, last? Like, because all of us were surprised Chelsea still holds the rights to Jose Mourinho's name. Do they set their own term or is there a, a template or a guidance that we can look to? From what we have rules in Europe, there is no particular set timeline. I can sign a contract with you until, let's say, you are an upcoming soccer player and then, uh, and my contract with you is for three years. I will use your name. So, there you go. I will own your name for three years. So in, in Chelsea's case, uh, without looking at the contract, we suspect it is probably one of those contracts where I'm going to hold your name, full stop. And either they forgot about it or, they, they, or Mourinho didn't bother about it or Mourinho uh, just left it behind. Um, that we're not sure. But it, it's, it's definitely not a time limit contract. You know, it really depends on the two parties. Image rights is uh, basically the right to own, to use and to administer a particular uh, mark or a brand or a name. Um, and in order to see the law behind that, we actually need to look uh, to intellectual property law. Uh, and, I would, and I will look at the uh, Malaysian uh, intellectual property law. Uh, so it really depends on the manner in which you have uh, registered uh, that particular mark or, or brand or name. Uh, if, it, if you have registered it as a trademark, uh, it would actually last for 10 years uh, from the date of registration. And then you need to look at who re whose name is it registered under. So if, if say, I'm the owner of uh, Nicole David, but I give consent to Milo to use Nicole David for, say, a period of three years, uh, there is no infringement because I've given the consent uh, to Milo to use it for a specific period of time. But 
uh, it then goes back to uh, the registration and the particular intellectual property law uh, to determine uh, the period of uh, validity mm. of the particular brand and name and whatnot. In Malaysia, how strong is the our framework for the enforcement of image rights? Well, we have um, um, a fairly effective uh, government agency doing this. Um, in fact, we both, uh, both Leslie and I know a few uh, Malaysian solicitors whose expertise is actually uh, enforcing uh, laws against uh, counterfeits. So yeah, it's, it's quite effective in Malaysia. Uh, perhaps not very, very effective. But yes, there are enforcement and, and uh, there are known cases where the relevant authorities would have stormed into certain uh, gudangs and confiscated fake products of uh, certain famous items. Yeah, so I'll just jump in here. Um, the Malaysian Intellectual Property uh, Corporation uh, has a legal framework in place. So uh, the uh, relevant acts, so the Trademark Act, the Copyright Act, the Patents Act, uh, do provide for um, uh, remedies uh, in cases of infringement. So I'll just give some examples. You can claim for, say, monetary uh, damages as compensation. Uh, people have also resorted to going to the civil courts uh, seeking for injunctions. Um, the Copyright Act does even provide um, criminal charges uh, of up to five years. Uh, the Trademark Act uh, allows for legal action to be taken, uh, either through civil action or you can even lodge complaints in the Enforcement Division uh, under the appropriate uh, Trademark uh, Description Act 1972. So there are there is a legal framework uh, in place uh, for Malaysian. But then again, that again depends on whether you have or have not registered uh, that particular trademark uh, in Malaysia itself. Based on our conversation thus far, it sounds like the Americans and the Europeans have very different um, frameworks when it comes to uh, IP. Is Malaysian based on the European or UK model compared yeah. instead of the yeah, we, are, we are very much based on the UK model. It's just that in, in Malaysia, take, um, the awareness, num- the three, three issues are number one, the awareness of whether or not an athlete ought to monetize or convert the image into e- intellectual property is fairly absent. That's the first. Number two, even if the athlete uh, or in some cases the association uh, is aware of it and wish to, to, to monetize it, they are not very sure how you're going to do it. Uh, even if they engage intellectual property lawyers, we call them IP lawyers, they will be able to, to easily trademark a person's name or um, a club or association. The th- then comes the third one. What can you do with it? In Malaysia, you know, um, uh, generally the, the commercial position in Malaysia is that most sponsorship uh, or, or a partnership or collaboration doesn't involve sports. And even when we have uh, big sponsors coming in for sports, it's always a huge government-owned companies or government-related companies who would buy over the names of uh, badminton or, or, or sometimes football or, or recently was squash. Uh, I think partly because of Nicole David. But individually, that small swimming club in Klanajaya, for example, that uh, up-and-coming badminton club in, in Kedah, uh, no one is monetizing it for them. Partly it's because they don't know what to do or they don't know how to do it. And th- that's where I think we need to create more awareness about that. So we've been talking about personal image rights so far, but when a player is part of a club, does it complicate matters 
because a club would have their own sponsorship deals and the player who comes to the club would have their own personal endorsement deals as well. Yeah, so um, there is quite a fine line between uh, individual image rights and uh, team image rights. So uh, the guiding law is that uh, if it's a team image right, uh, it would have to involve, uh, of say, three players or more. So if you notice when uh, football clubs release their new kits, um, the poster is always three players or more. Um, and even then, select the selection process of who is those who, who makes up those three players. Uh, there is probably a lot of thought process uh, given to particularly image rights because um, the team would want to avoid having to pay that individual uh, image rights. So there is a lot of a thought process put behind uh, things things like that. All of the players would be roughly the same size, and one wouldn't be more prominent than the yes, other. Yes, correct. So even when, uh, say, Premier League does a highlight or uh, a promotional mm. video for the next season, uh, you will see that they're very careful not to feature one player for too long. Uh, at the most, just a couple of seconds, and they will move on to the next player. Uh, again, that is one of the very few methods which they use to avoid uh, paying individual image rights to that particular player. If I'm a producer of a game a f- franchise like FIFA, it's going to be so expensive because I have to pay each and every player, I have to pay each and every team that I want to feature uh, the likeness of or use their logo in, in a game, isn't it? Yes, correct. So again, uh, it boils back to uh, the individual's uh, image rights or uh, the team's image rights. So uh, from what I know, I believe EA Sports, which is the creator of uh, FIFA, uh, the FIFA video game, uh, they had contracts with... Uh, Rooney and Messi. So then they then have the right to use Rooney's picture or Messi's picture on front of that video game cover. Uh, but it is subject to the negotiations between uh, the video game uh, manufacturer or the creator uh, with the, either the team or the individual player. So speaking of video game, there's this very interesting case that I read about a former college basketball player who sued the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association. This is the body that organizes all college sports in the US. Um, what happened was he found himself in a video game, the likeness of himself with his stats, his weight and his team. He, he was playing for UCLA at the time. And he was not compensated for any of, of it. Yeah, um, it's actually the O'Bannon's case. Basically, it's peculiar to America. Um, there's um, an antitrust element in the case. And antitrust is something like anti-monopoly. In O'Bannon's case, uh, what happened is that he's long stopped playing for UCLA. and uh, But NCAA was still using his name, image, etc. And he wanted them to stop it. Now, in, in US, is very peculiar because the school sports, we, 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 in Malaysia, we call it school sports. Huh? Are, so in America, the school sports would be something like uh, the, the high school, college and universities. It is huge. The value of the, the game, uh, football or American football, of course, when I say football, there, basketball goes into millions of uh, US dollars. So, the NCAA and uh, whichever the mother organization which controls that sports, um, they have a fair bit of uh, commercial strength. They control virtually every single young player's name, image, etc. They sell that name and take their money and reinvest into the sports. Um, in O'Bannon's case, it's about when can they stop using it. So he won the case, the player won the case, which I think is good good for the players. Uh, it means that even though I may have allowed an association to use my name, 
but if I'm not playing under that association anymore, the name ought to return to me. Because they are famous for not paying college players to preserve their amateur status. Do you think something like this can happen in Malaysia? Because our school sports seems quite competitive. Well, in Malaysia, I think um, there have been attempts by the uh, relevant government agencies to try and uh, invest more money into school sports. Uh, but by nature, I think Malaysian school sports are very much uh, really in the spirit of true true sports. Uh, hardly any money involved. Uh, you still see uh, young school players wearing torn jerseys playing in the middle of a horrible pitch or uh, an athlete running with uh, uh, really old uh, broken shoes, shoes, you know. So um, we've seen it many, many times. And so in Malaysia, uh, even if we try to really try to uh, monetize this, um, I'm I'm not sure how far would the, the, our culture accept it. Uh, Because we, uh, I suppose as a, some of us uh, maybe parents so we may not want our kids to be so uh, overtly exposed to commercialization at such a young age when they are playing sports uh, some parents would just want the kid to play for the sake of, of playing you know, not for the money um, so our, our culture is slightly different but uh, recently uh, we've, we've noticed the, the Ministry of uh, Youth and Sports our minister seems to be uh, very active in trying to uh, increase value in sports and I think he's actually trying to uh, invest more attention to sports in school, like like the current ongoing uh, national football program. We have an under-14, under-18 team under the ministry. So maybe this, this is the beginning. I, I'm not sure. But I think it's actually a good move. I think whether parents like it or not, sports and, and uh, money go hand in hand. And schools do need some kind of investment. We don't need to make a 16-year-old player a millionaire but the 16-year-old player should get proper athletes' equipments to, to, to manage himself or herself. Yeah, maybe then sports would be seen as a legitimate career path for our young kids. Yes, yes, that's, that's, that, that, that should be the way. And I think a huge chunk of uh, Malaysians only hear the word image, but they have no idea what is it about. Sports lawyers in particular will, will be very well aware of this. And there's, it's a good... Uh, you look at the countries where... Sports are, are actively managed, uh, uh, properly managed. Uh, they have a very, very powerful sports culture. A lot more to talk about. I hope we get to do a follow-up when the transfer season is upon us after the Euro to talk more about the legalities of sports uh, and how it relates to Malaysia. Richard, Leslie, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah. Thanks, Indik. You've been listening to BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.